Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Anne Friedman. On this week's agenda, we've got a long-distance wrap-up to a very long year in which we talk to some of our faves about their highlights from 2019. Okay, so you know that end of the year, like the last mm, month for sure, but definitely the last two weeks when all you want to do is check in with your loved ones and especially if they're far away, get a read on how they're feeling about their year and how they're feeling going into the new one. Also, it's that time of year when we just want to connect with the people we love regardless of where they live. That's what we really, really tried hard to do this week. And the reality was we could not even find a time to get on the phone and do the podcast in a way that felt meaningful, which like, I'm sure that you recognize this feeling from your friendships. It's 100% how we feel. That's what this week's episode is. The series of voicemails that kind of stands in when you can't get on the phone for a real conversation. So here we are. We each left each other a voicemail with a year-end message, and we also asked for messages from our friends, people who we wish we could connect with directly. Hi, Anne. I am leaving you this message because we just have not been able to connect lately because we're both traveling so much, and it's the end of the year, and you know how it is. It's just a the two-body problem. We cannot be in the same space, but I've been thinking about you a lot, and I've been thinking about this year a lot and this decade a lot, even though you know that I don't believe in like New Year's because it's such a productivity kind of scam. I'm just like trying to reflect on some like highlights for us because we have known each other exactly a decade now. I'm really glad you were a big part of my decade and that our friendship was. And and just of all the things that I've like learned about myself through knowing you and I'm not going to get sappy because I'm going to tell you them in person, but uh, to the podcast listeners, it's been like, you know, it's been a very good decade for us. You know, it's funny. This is the first year that I remember exactly what I was doing on the first of the year. I just have such a clear, vivid memory of it and a clear, vivid memory of making a choice that... um, I was going to try to have a significant year, even though at the time I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't mean it like in a, like care more about my career or like, you know, like work on XYZ. I was trying to do the thing that our pal Saeed Jones calls um, determinations. Like uh, he and his mom that he's written so much about have, um, their tradition was to have New Year's determinations. And I remember what my determinations were at the beginning of the year. And... I am happy to say I feel like I had a determined year. And so much of that for me has just been about being healthier. It's the first year probably in this decade that I felt more like myself in my head and in my body. No thanks, cancer. But uh, we're still here doing our best. And I've just been reflecting a lot on the things that have meant a lot to me. And so obviously there was like music and books and, you know, all of the like kind of cultural markers of what are the things that have meant the most to you? 
But I think that when I think for me about the last year, I've just like remembered a lot of really, um, a lot of like emotional high notes. And so many of them involve like really big laughs and good people. And so many of them were sad also. But I've just been reflecting a lot on my people and what this past year has given us and what the past year has taken away. And I hope that as you kind of like review your year and you review your decade, that um, that's also like front of mind for you. All that said, I am super excited for the next 10 years for us. I'm excited about the next year. Let's do it one day at a time. I wish for like good lols, good music, good people, good times, like everything cliche. But guess what? It's okay to want nice things. I want nice things and I want fun times and I'm not ashamed to say it. I miss you a lot. Uh, Can't wait to hear what you've been thinking about. Hi, Amina. um, And hi, everyone listening in. I'm really sorry we didn't get to do this together because I feel like you and I had like a serious 2019 in terms of things we did together. I mean, I know everyone who's listening to this knows that we wrote a book together this year, but it's really interesting to sit and reflect on it as this like truly months-long process where we were not just close friends, but we were the deepest kind of intellectual collaborators, like literally in each other's private documents, like changing each other's words, having to talk about things that were really, really difficult again and again and again. And um, I'm struck by the fact that like, for me, this was the year that I finally was like, oh, I did it. I wrote a book, which is something that has appeared on every like goals list going into the new year since probably I was literate. And it was just so special to be able to cross that off and accomplish that with you, no matter what people think of this book. I just feel profoundly lucky that like something that has been so important to me to do in my life, I got to do side by side with someone who I care about so much and who is so smart and whose ideas I love so much. Like, I just feel really very privileged that um, I got to have that experience with you. And I also feel energized. Like, I feel ready to talk about this book with the world. And I feel ready to write, like, a next book, maybe on my own, which is, like, you know, true training wheels vibes. And I know everyone listening to this has not written a book with their friend, but I think that it is a rare and special thing when you get to have a watershed life moment, you know, something you've really known you've wanted to do for a long time and get to do it side by side with someone you love. Um, You just have that memory in a different way because you've experienced it together. Anyway, so that is really just like the dominant experience of my 2019. Um, It affected how I read things. Um, Everything I read was amazing this year. (laughs) Um, But two reading experiences stand out. Um, Rereading Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, which are really books about uh, resilience and about um, being someone who is actively marginalized and out of power and really having this well of confidence in yourself that you can return to again and again, even when you're, you have your doubts about the exact path forward or the exact how, the, the why and like the sureness of uh, yourself and your values and goals. Like that is what that character really, um, really represents to me. And so diving into that world that Octavia Butler created was so powerful for me this year. Um, I loved that. And uh, I think it was important that it came at this stage of this presidency for me when I am feeling like 
a little bit of despair about the positive impact of showing up in the streets and the practical results of calling my members of Congress who, based on the city I live in, are already in pretty much agreement with me. And I think that I really don't want to lose that sense of urgency that I felt right after Trump was elected about staying engaged and pushing through the fact that it just feels like a relentless mudslide of shit <laughs> and and continuing to understand that even if all of these little actions that I undertake don't have a result, it's still worthwhile to keep trying. So anyway, so those books helped me do that. The other thing that I really loved this year and couldn't stop thinking about was um, the Last Bohemians podcast, which is interviews with predominantly older women who are living in the UK women who were like radicals and artists and considered quite avant-garde when they were younger, reflecting on their youth and kind of the ways the culture has and hasn't caught up to where they've always been. And I love this show for a number of reasons. Um, I've listened to it multiple times, truly. I love the way that um, you can get this sort of 30,000 foot view on the many kinds of lives that a woman can have. Um, I think that that's often been a privilege only afforded to men in the past, where we can sort of say, wow, look how ahead of their day they were way back when. And let's consider the whole impact of everything they've been present for to change and to witness. That's what the show really did for me. And it made me realize how hungry I am for just more, more insights, more wisdom, more stories from women who are in their 60s through their 90s. So I'm going to seek out more of that next year. I really love The Last Bohemians and I want to recommend it. The other thing that sticks with me from this year, and it's funny, it's a little bit self-indulgent, but um, it has to do with the power of words again. Nick Kwa, who's a writer who uh, writes about podcasts for Vulture, in a roundup this year, described Call Your Girlfriend as an audio zine. And I can't stop thinking about how appropriate that feels and how funny it is that we have never embraced that terminology ourselves. Because when a stranger asks me about our podcast, I say something like, it's a feminist chat show. Or I say, like, it's a chat show, but we also do lots of great interviews. And it's kind of hard to find the language for this mix of professionalism and DIY-ness that we've got going on and that we've cultivated all these years. And when I saw that term zine, I was just like, yes, <laughs> it is exactly what we're doing. That is that is what our independent little podcast project is all about. So I want to thank Nick. And I want to just say that that has helped me put some words to this like project that we are making together.
me just say I'm really excited to go into a new calendar year with you. I know not everyone is like Gregorian calendar oriented, but as someone who is incorporated, so I live on the fiscal year, the corporate fiscal year, <laughs> and um, who has a birthday in early January, the year really restarts for me with the, the new calendar year. So for my purposes, I love this as a time for reflection. And I just want to send so much love and gratitude to all of you for sustaining me through 2019 and working with me and being collaborators. On that note, we also asked some of our favorite people to share their highlights from this year. They left us some voicemails, as is the style of this episode, and we hope you enjoy them. Welcome to a short little Call Your Girlfriend segment of Who Weekly, the podcast where you learn everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. I'm Bobby Finger. I'm Lindsay Weber, and in case you have never heard of us before, well, we have a podcast, and you should go listen to it. If you mm-hmm. like this, actually, listen to this first and see what you think. But we are, I would say, friends of the pod, right? The only reason we have a pod is because Amina supported us. Yeah, and said, make a truly, pod, do a truly. pod. What, what's the big deal? Do a pod. Because of Amina's confidence in us. So today we're going to help Call Your Girlfriend close out 2019 by talking about three celebrities who have graduated, a term that we invented. It's a terrible term. That means they've gone from who to them over the past year. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. way we're going to talk about this, it's very, it's very scientific. Uh, it's not we have a call-in show on friday so we get a lot of calls we have a number 619 who them and people call in and they ask about celebrities who they don't know a lot about and we've been doing this for almost four years oh boy so isn't that crazy oh boy so over the years we've seen people go from who to them i think most notably in our tenure cardi b is a big one but three Three people have gone from who to them this year, and we've noticed it because we used to get a lot of calls about them, and now we don't. Uh, Let's just start with number one, who to them, Lizzo. I would say we were getting calls about her very, very earlier this year. Who is she? Where'd she come from? And the answer was, you know, she's been around for a long time. She's making music for a long time, but she might break through this year. Is that that's Mm -hmm. the real question, right? Yeah, and then she did. And the most interesting thing about Lizzo's career this year, her 2019, which has been written about to death, is that she mostly became famous based on stuff that's old, which is sort of a fascinating way in, in the realm of pop music. Well, we usually say about people, you know, hey, you missed their best stuff, or hey, you know, I've known about them for so long, and remember mm-hmm. the old stuff and whatever. And for this case, because of the nature of streaming music, I think, when mm-hmm. she came out and she said, oh, well, you know... Here I am, and her song started catching on. It didn't matter how old they were. It didn't matter that mm-hmm. these songs had come out four years ago because yeah. we were hearing them now. They were being featured in TikToks, they were being featured on Twitter, and all this stuff, and people were enjoying them. And some of the, you know, crazy people like us were like, wait, but these are old songs. But who the hell cares? Who cares? Right. My favorite thing that artists do sometimes is when they, <laughs> when they do the thing where they, well, Lizzo did it a lot, but they put the old songs that are hitting on the current streaming albums so that they're part of the new albums and they can like say that this album is getting streams just because they put the old stuff on it suddenly you know what right, i mean right but that's tough that she that's, sort of changed the game i love it she did change the game but it also just showed when we were talking about this maybe last year that singles are more important than albums this just continues to be the case and not only are singles more important than albums or just songs released randomly uh, singles that are older more now more important than albums. Old songs, songs from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Songs that get on TikTok, songs that get you know re- reused for different parts of culture. I guess what was interesting to me is I'm very curious about Lizzo in terms of kind of she's reaching her like peak fame right now. 2019, mm-hmm. great year for her. But I wonder how it feels for her, kind of having her most popular work be stuff that she made so long ago. That would be frustrating for me. 
I think it would be initially frustrating because it's like I've been going, it's I've been doing this for so long, and yeah. you're just now discovering me. Right. But it's got to be it's got to be pretty gratifying because it would almost be more annoying to release a new catalog of music and then have your old stuff be completely ignored. You know, yes. where it's like, God, yes. now I, I deal yes. with the stuff that I'm really proud of and you don't even listen to it. Exactly. It, it's great that people went into the back catalog. That almost shows more of a fandom than exclusively the new stuff being famous, right. you know? But I guess the it thing It shows with like the, the initiative, the drive. The question with Lizzo and why it was so easier for her to jump from who to them is that her personality was so magnetic and so, mm-hmm. so huge and so, you know, catchy that... That was what shown the most, maybe. Mm-hmm. And her. More than the music. More than the music, question mark. I mean, the music is great, too, but that music is so her, you know? It's so... No one else can perform no that music. Like, her. like, did you see no Harry Styles like do a do a cover of Juicy or Juice? Juice. Juice. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, no, I didn't see that. Like, it's fine. That, that's but, amazing. But no one else can, you know, perform that song the way that she does. And also, she was a meme. She was that bye bitch meme <laughs> before she got huge, which is really meme. fun. She just has like a, an understanding of how to operate on Twitter, sometimes to her detriment, but overall to her benefit, mm-hmm. uh, that you can see other celebrities copying too, which is mm-hmm. another true hallmark of themdom. Mm-hmm. People are copying what they're doing, what you are doing, because they see a You're trying to make her. Okay, who's yes. next on our list of... Do we, do we, which Billy do we start with? Billy two Porter Billies. or Billie there Eilish? Two Billies. Which is so funny about these two Billies is that they're very different. Very different Billies. Opposite. Early have- career Billy, late career Billy... You Both have a Billy good, who's who still a teenager. Stories. You have a Billy who had worked his whole career and is now in his 40s, I want to say, before he kind of crossed over and became not- got noticed for more than just... Lindsay, he's what? 50. Oh, my God. Wow. He looks yeah, good. he's 50. He looks never 50. I'll, ta- I'll so take Billy that Porter, Billy Porter, I think, uh, has been a Broadway of them for a really, really long time. I mm-hmm. mean, he won a Tony over five years ago for mm-hmm. Kinky Boots. He originated that role in That's Kinky huge. Boots, which now just gets farmed out to any, like, celebrity, like, minor celebrity. It's right. the waitress effect, the yeah. Kinky Boots effect, the, ca- the Chicago effect, cabaret effect, whatever. Chicago he originated effect. that role. He also sang, iconically, the montage song. The sad montage song in First Wife's Club. Right, that but no one. Right, that's his song, but no that's not. No one cared. Yeah. Some people So maybe he's cared, like old but... school Broadway. He's a theater actor. Over the past few years, he's gotten famous on television, most recently in Pose, and then he won an Emmy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the first openly gay black man to be nominated and win in any leading acting category at the Primetime Emmys. That's me reading Wikipedia, obviously. Mm-hmm. But. Another thing that helped him become a them is his red carpet style. So, like, just the mere fact that he is on the red carpet means that eyes are going to be on him. Because unlike most men who are so fucking lazy when it comes to red carpets, they just wear black tuxes. Billy Porter is on the red carpet, taking style risks, doing what you are there I mean, you had, like... Sean Mendez and, and like Michael B. Jordan in like a harness or whatever that was touching yeah. on this thing. We want to see these flamboyant looks. We want to see mm-hmm. actual fashion. And he was confident enough and didn't give a shit. He's 50. He doesn't care. He he worked this hard to get to this point. I also just think that, again, the time is right for him. We mm-hmm. are we are open arms as a culture, open arms, ready to embrace him. In, in, and there are projects that work for him. Like, Pose and all of you know all of these Ryan Murphy mm-hmm. projects that are perfect for Billy Porter. I think everything just came together at the right place, right time. I do. Yeah, and I and I think finally 
yeah. uh, television, specifically television, more so, more and more movies, but like television sort of on the forefront of this. Yes. They're making more roles for middle-aged women. Oh, wow. They have roles for middle-aged gay black men in a way that like probably weren't possible in the 90s. Billy Porter was closeted publicly for a long time because he was told it would ruin his career. Mm-hmm. And now he's openly gay and he's starring in a show about trans people on television and he won an Emmy for it. Right. So, so I so there's a lot this is has a lot to do with the greater trends of television, the television boom that we have more space for TV, that we mm-hmm. have all these streaming channels that there's money being poured into making TV shows that would have never been made really in the past. Yeah. So there's so much here that goes from that pulls you from who to them. Yeah. Once again, I just have to reiterate, it's so annoying the way men can be lazy on the red carpet. And it's just like, that is part of the job description. It's true. And they think that like putting on a harness or wearing a blue tux instead of a black one is mm-hmm. somehow work. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. All of the women are stressing about this to within an inch of their life. And it's like, the men should be too. This is right. part of your job. It's true. This is part of your job. It's true. Do better. do better. Do better. Do better. Be best. We give Be best. so much attention and support and like love and and we clap, clap, clap for the littlest amount of effort in terms of yeah. It's so up. stupid and it's okay. like Billy Porter's doing so much more. Billy last Porter, Billy, last Billy, final Billy, Billy Eilish on the other side of the spectrum. Billy Eilish, Billy with an IE. Billy with an IE. Eilish. She is a now eighteen. I think she just turned eighteen. Oh, happy birthday, Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish, we used to get a lot of calls um, because she just seemed like, I don't know, initially, especially to adults, when Billie Eilish kind of came on the scene. Flash in the pan. A few years ago, she seemed just like a young teen singer who really wasn't going to go anywhere, but some kids liked. Like, oh, kids like her, whatever. Teen girls like her. Talk about somebody with a singular vision. I think that's what separated her, as it turned out. Not only had they made all this music in their, you know, her and her brother would make all this music in their bedroom and all that. I mean, it's not the first time that somebody has made music in their bedroom, but mm-hmm. her kind of capturing of what young people wanted to hear, the direction in which pop music was moving, right? Mm-hmm. Making something new that was also somehow within the framework i don't even know how to i don't even know how to explain how well she did in terms of this kind of thing and then yeah. also you're talking about billy porter having this like iconic style and really going for it she has a very young person style how do i say you know what i mean like but she has not, a young person she has a yeah. very uh dramatic style like it's like it's a young alty i don't want to do what everyone else is doing style yes. but it's also still very very cool and it's the sort of thing that people are copying it's a it's counterculture like, that like her. hadn't been really explored before by a young woman i think this, ter- this yeah. the kind of baggy clothes that she wears but really high fashion really bright colors really everything a really smart young person i think we're obsessed yeah. with smart young people obsessed yeah obsessed and i think the thing for a while people called in and they were like, she makes the weirdest music. Like it's it, and, it, and the thing is, it's it is really unique, and it is very Billie Eilish, but it's also pop. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about the music. Totally. Like, it makes perfect sense on the radio. It's not as jarring as I think she is billed to be. Sometimes I think she's sort of. It's easy for people to say Billie Eilish. She's so out there. But it's just because it's a few degrees away from the biz, like the stuff that's everywhere, like you know your Ariana Grande's or your Selena Gomez's. It is still pop music, though. And that's, no, I think, what sure makes is. it so great. Because it fits 
on pop radio just as well as everything else. But it is unique and it sounds like her. And we're going to have more music that sounds like her in the future because Bad Guy has been everywhere. It's so influential. We're Who Weekly. That is our Who to Them report for 2019. Mm-hmm. It's been a wild year for Who's. If you mm-hmm. want to hear more about Who's, this, these are the celebrities who are not thems, the ones you've never heard of, the ones whose faces you see in the checkout aisle when you're just getting your trying to get mm-hmm. your groceries and they're all over the magazines. You're like, who are these people? If you're wondering who those people are, check out our podcast. That's Who Weekly. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks. Call your girlfriend. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, Call Your Girlfriend listeners. This is Emma Straub, novelist and owner of Books Are Magic, an independent bookstore in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. And I am here to tell you all about some of my very favorite books of the year because I think that you would like them too. So the first one is a memoir called Good Talk by a writer named Mira Jacob. And um, it's a graphic memoir, which means that Mira is one of those doubly talented people. So she wrote all the words and drew all the pictures. And it's really a series of conversations between Mira and her son, between Mira and her parents, between Mira and her husband, between Mira and her um, friends. And it's about what it feels like to be a parent, uh, to be in, in interracial marriage, to be a human in the age of Trump. Um, it's really fabulous, and I think you would love it. Another book that I think you uh, would all really enjoy is Fleabag, The Scriptures by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It looks like a Bible, and it's all of the scripts for Fleabag. Um, You've already watched all the episodes, and you have already fallen in love with the hot priest, and um, now you can actually just buy the book and read it and see what a genius Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in your very own house without even turning on the television. I have some poems to recommend also because even if you read poems every day, you could probably stand to read more poems. Um, There are three collections of poems in particular that I want to recommend. The first is a book called Odes to Lithium by a writer named Shira Ehrlichman, who is a bookseller here at Books Are Magic, but she is a permanent genius out in the world. And the book is all about lithium. It's about mental health. It's about being a human and her brain. And her brain is worthy of um, your time for sure. So you should pick that up. Um, Another uh, book of poems that I think you should read is called Hybrida by a poet named Tina Chang. And it's, um, it's a book of poems about what it feels like to be um, a parent in 2019, but more specifically, um, the non-Black parent of a Black child in 2019. And the poems are beautiful and full of hope and fear. And um, it's just, it's a very moving book. And I think that you would love it. Um, And then the last book of poems that I'm gonna recommend is called An American Sunrise by Joy Harjo, who is now our Poet Laureate of the United States. Thank God that that's something that Donald Trump can't take away from us, that we have a Poet Laureate. So Joy Harjo, I recommend that you look up 
photos of her because you will see her holding a saxophone, which is amazing. Um, And you will also see her sitting on Oprah's couch out on Oprah's lawn, which is also amazing. Um, And then after you do all that, you should just read her poems. This book, uh, it's a new book that's really about her tribal history and the land. Um, And it's incredibly moving and I think you'd love it. Um, Okay, so moving on to some fiction that I love this year. So Mary H.K. Choi is just one of the greatest. I believe she's a friend of the pod, as they say. Maybe they don't say that. (laughs) I believe she's a She's a girlfriend. She's one of our girlfriends here at Books Are Magic and one of Collier Girlfriend's girlfriends as well. But Permanent Record, I just gobbled up. If you haven't read it yet, it's um, it's in this sort of in-between zone that is called New Adult, I believe, which means that it's sort of straddling the YA adult fiction line because it's about young people who are not children, but they're, you know, sort of in the like college zone. And these two characters, the boy uh, works overnight at a bodega in New York City, and the girl, the main girl character, is uh, a pop star, sort of like Ariana Grande. And it's about their relationship and their relationships with their families, their relationships with their friends, and sort of, you know, fame, Instagram, all that good juicy stuff. But really, it's just about human beings. And Mary's a beautiful writer, and I loved every page. Speaking of beautiful writers where I loved every page. Okay, so Gia Tolentino. You already love Gia Tolentino. You probably have already bought six copies of Trick Mirror, her collection of essays. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't. In which case, what are you doing? You need Gia. So if you don't read her essays in The New Yorker, you really should start. Gia is going to guide us all out of idiocy, one essay at a time, whether she's talking about growing up, uh, going to the church, whether she's talking about drugs, whether she's talking about the internet, whether she's talking about all of those things in one essay. Gia Tolentino will save us all. So, by Trick Mirror. Another book that will save you, possibly, is In the Dream House, a memoir by Carmen Maria Machado, is about the sort of domestic abuse that isn't written about a lot, which is in two ways. Number one, it's a queer relationship. It's about Carmen and her girlfriend, and it's it's about sort of abuse that comes, you know, without leaving fingerprints. And it's inventive and astonishing, like everything Carmen writes. But I also think that this one really is going to help a lot of people recognize red flags in their own relationships or in their friends' relationships and really could be a a lifeline for a lot of people. Um, What else? So here's another graphic book. So Rainbow Rowell is one of my faves, maybe one of your faves too. And you may know her as the author of Fangirl and Carry On and all these things. But this year, Rainbow also wrote a, uh, a graphic novel called Pumpkinheads, <laughs> which is a totally sweet teen romance that takes place literally in a pumpkin patch. It's two teenagers who work together in the pumpkin patch. And I just, I can't say enough things about it. I just, I was having a bad day. And then I read the whole thing 
cover to cover and I felt so much better. So let that be a balm to you as well. Another, so this is another memoir. So The Yellow House by Sarah Broom. This one just won the National Book Award for nonfiction. Um, it's a memoir, but it's messier than that. Like it, it's it's more like, a poem. You get to know all of these members of Sarah Broom's family, generations of interesting, complicated people in New Orleans, where her family is from. And it really just follows this family home. And um, yeah, and it won the National Book Award. And you're going to love it. Oh, I have one book by a man. <laughs> so there are two men who I'm allowing onto this list. And the first one is Saeed Jones, whose memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, just wrecked me. I cried and cried and cried. It's the story of Saeed coming of age as a young black gay man in the South. And so there's him sort of having his first sexual encounters and things like that. But it's really about his relationship with his mother as the mother to two small kids, I just, that is the part of this book that really just broke me. It is so beautiful and I have been putting it in everyone's hands and now I'm putting it in yours. And then the last book that I'm gonna recommend, also by man, is Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. Um, this is a book that really surprised me and, and I think it surprised a lot of people because you know most books, if they're going to hit the New York Times bestseller list, they come out and hit the list right away, you know, because they've racked up all the pre-orders and whatever. But that is not what happened with this book. This book was like a real, uh, I mean, it's hard to call something a sleeper when he was on Fresh Air. <laughs> but but it, it, it really was word of mouth that sold this book. Um, it's about the woman, a woman who gets called by her old high school friend to come and be the nanny to her friend's stepchildren um, in Tennessee. And the only catch is that these children spontaneously combust. They burst into flame when they're agitated or angry or upset. Um, the children are not harmed, but things around them can burn. And it's just, it's one of the best books about parenting that I have ever read and I read a lot of books about parenting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess the way I read it is that it's really about being a damaged person and loving other people who you see are damaged in similar ways and how, how it, that's possible, you know, and, and, and how what we can all do to help and what we have to offer even when we think that we aren't offering enough. So those are just some of my choices. I could go on for one million years. Thank you for having me. I love you, call your girlfriend. I love you, call your girlfriend listeners. Come see me at Books or Magic. Okay, bye. Um, see you on the internet next year. See you in 2020. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. 714-681-CYGF. You can email us 
callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey. And this podcast is produced by Gina Bailey.